0: Bible to Titus, chapter three. We're going to finish the book of Titus tonight, I think. Uh, you know, <laughs> my plan is to finish the book of Titus tonight. We'll see how it goes. But I think we can do that. And I would invite you to come back next week for a new series that will be beginning. And uh, we're going to do, for the next 10 weeks, uh, starting beginning next week, great chapters of the Bible. Great chapters of the Bible. I've got 10 chapters that I've picked out that I want to teach systematically through over a 10-week period. We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to end in Revelation. And we're going to tell you the whole story of the Bible in 10 weeks. We're going to start with creation. And then we're going to study the fall. And then we're going to study redemption. And then we're going to study restoration, which is the entire story of the book. And so you can look forward to that next week, Genesis 1, if the Lord permits us that opportunity to do that. Tonight, we want to finish up Titus. We're going to be in Titus 3, beginning in verse 9, and we're going to read down to the end of the chapter. Titus 3 9 for our reading tonight. The Word of the Lord says this But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. Isn't that a good ending for a good book? Grace be with us all. Let's pray. Lord, we need your grace. We understand your grace to be your power at work through your children to do things for us and in us that we could not do in our own strength and our own power. And so may we have your grace tonight to be able to explain the word, to be able to glorify your name, to be able to help your people and encourage your people tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I am standing in the, in the middle of uh, bark, tree bark. I found it, I found it all over the, the pulpit. I, it's in the floor. It looks like a family of gerbils has been living up here. And I'm thinking to myself, where did this come from? And this is what we get for inviting missionaries to come. Because that was Gene that was Jordan with that, that machete and that piece of wood this morning knocking on that thing. And it's all over. So Gene may be gone, but memories of Gene are still here. And wasn't that a wonderful service? I mean, wasn't it wonderful? I mean, we had two excellent services this morning. This is our missions emphasis month. And I thoroughly appreciated what Jean Jordan had to say to us. So encouraging to our hearts. And then have the privilege of uh, dedicating to ministry uh, Alana Batterman this morning. Uh, If you were in second service, we commissioned her as a missionary this morning. And so what a privilege we had. And I hope you were as blessed by that as I was. You know the church is is a, an amalgamation. It's a collection of various kinds of people from all over the place. We saw some of those that variety this morning, as Jean showed those pictures of MAF and, and the ministry that they've been involved in. Uh, some of those faces we'd seen before. One of those guys was Ming Kai. If you were in the first service, if I'm not mistaken, he was he was one of the little indigenous uh, couple that was talking uh, on there, that was Kai, the one who has recently, within the last three months, gone into the presence of the Lord. The one who speared the, the five missionaries to death in Ecuador. Uh, one, of the, one of the attackers who came to Christ and, and now is celebrating in glory with those five men <laughs> that he threw spears at. There's nothing like the church on planet Earth. There is nothing like the church on planet Earth. You know what? I mean, we get the most extraordinary extraordinary privilege of being part of a body of Christ that is just people from every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation. But there's also nothing like the church on earth. Because in the church on earth, you have some people that are problems and some people that are blessings. And that really is what we have in this passage that's before us tonight. You remember the story. You remember what's going on in the book of Titus. The Apostle Paul is writing to his young protege, Titus, whom he's left on the island of Crete to set the churches in order, little groups that have been led to the Lord, brand new Christians, and Titus has the privilege of of establishing leadership over these little assemblies and getting these churches going. And so Paul, if I can put it this way, the experienced pastor is writing to his young apprentice, if you will and giving him some tips on how to pastor the church and what some of the things are that you need to know in order to handle the body of Christ in a godly way that helps people to grow up and become mature. And so Paul is getting ready to close his epistle, and he writes to Titus, and he says, now I want to talk to you just briefly here at the end about the fact that there are going to be some people in the church that are not going to be a blessing. They're actually going to be a challenge." I don't know if you've been hanging around the church long enough to realize that not every, <laughs> not every moment in the body of Christ is unalloyed joy. Can I get an amen? There are moments when, <laughs> I heard some amens coming, that was there are moments when people can just be a problem, but that's not always the story. There are other moments too. Aren't you glad for that? Can we also get an amen for that? Can we also get the amen for the fact that the vast majority of our experience with people in the church is not that they're problems, but that they are blessings? And both of these things are in this passage that we have before us tonight. In the first three verses, in verses 9, 10, and 11, Paul is giving Titus counsel about people who are problems in the church. But when we get to verses 12, all the way down to the end, he says, now let me talk to you about some of the blessings. And so the big idea that we're dealing with tonight is simply that because churches contain all kinds of people, churches have all kinds of people, and because churches contain all kinds of people, leadership in the church has to be skillful at knowing the practical ins and outs of dealing with each kind of person. And you think, well, good, I'm off the hook because I'm not in church leadership. Well, some of you are in church leadership. But you think, well, I'm not in church leadership. Oh, but there's something here for you. Because the body of Christ does this together. Those of us who are in leadership do not do what we do in isolation. We are an extension of who you are, the congregation. Uh, You are the ones who we are together in this thing of uh, encouraging the body of Christ. And so it's necessary for the folks who sit in the pews to understand these things as well. And if you have any doubt about that, look at the very last verse, and we're going to get to the last verse in detail, but I simply want to point out one thing to you. Paul has written this uh, this epistle to Titus, but he says, now all who are with me send greetings to you and greet all of those who love us in the faith. And then look at that closing line, grace be with you all. Why doesn't he say grace be with you, Titus? Because this epistle, like all of the epistles, were designed to be read publicly in front of the church. See, the things that are in these pastoral epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, these things are not just for those who are in leadership of the church. It's necessary for the people who are in the pews of the church also to understand these principles so that we can hold each other accountable, so that we will know how to pray, so that we will know how to cooperate with the work of building the church on planet Earth. And so this is for all of us tonight. Even though Paul is talking to Titus, this is really news that we can all use. Now, what is he, what is he on about? Well, the, tonight's passage divides very naturally just into two segments. First of all, in verses nine through 11, we're going to, to uh, hear him give counsel about dealing with people who are problems in the church. And then in verses 12 through 15, He's going to talk to us about dealing with people who are blessings in the church. And so we're going to have both of these things tonight. Let's begin with people who are problems, dealing with people who are problems. You know, in every church, you're going to have a mixture of people. You're going to have some people who are controversial people. You're going to have other people who are people of peace. This is the body of Christ, we're living in in humanity. What was the old thing that the guy said? To live above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, that's another story. And and there are moments like that in the church because you've got this mixture of people and so you have to know how to deal with it. And Paul's gonna give us some advice here about dealing with two kinds of people who are problems in the church. Now, in verse 9, he talks to us about a particular kind of person who will cause problems in the church. And what's typical of this kind of person is that there are people who are always involved in some kind of controversy. They've got some kind of thing that they're going to stick up for and that they're going to argue for. Uh, There will always be people in the church that are like this. And uh, there are some people who have always got some little thing that they're stumping for. You know what I mean? And it can be a variety of different things. I mean, uh, today, in, the, in the, the situation we're dealing with today, uh, we have people who have a variety of opinions about the, the pandemic, about COVID, you know. Uh, whether you should wear a mask or whether you should not wear a mask. I see many of you have masks on. Others have chosen not to do that. I want to affirm you in the choice you made. Do what you believe God would have you do. Uh, but there are some people who would become controversial over this, you know, and argue for that and try to say, well, you know, you're really not doing the the right thing. You ought to do that. So masks are a thing that we're dealing with today. Politics, uh, there's always an opportunity for the church to, to become controversial over that, you know. We have, it may shock you to know that we have a variety of different opinions at Bible Fellowship Church. Did you know that we have a variety of different opinions at bible fellowship church aren't you glad i'm glad i mean i'm glad we're the kind of place that sets that aside so that we do not have to major 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 on that but that we can let people uh, obey their consciences before god and give you the principles that you need to be able to make those decisions but there are some people who just won't let that go you know they want to they want to contend for that Uh, this is what we're dealing with in our day, but there's always something going on. There's always some kind of controversy swirling around. Uh, You know, in former days, before we had the blessings of politics and pandemic, we, we dealt with things like versions of scripture, right? You get some people who come and oh, they're gonna thump and stump for, you know, one particular version of the Bible, one particular translation. Music is a festival for this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Some people, no, you gotta sing the old hymns. No, you, we need to sing the new stuff. And, uh, and there, there's always these opportunities for people to be controversial. Uh, you know, whether the pastor wears a tie or not can be controversial. Did you know that? Did you know that I wear a tie on Sunday morning? Have you noticed that I never wear a tie on Sunday evening? See, I'm, a, I'm straddling the fence on this. <laughs> That's just straddling the fence. So there are always going to be these moments of controversy, and we need to say a couple things about that. We need to say first of all about that, that it's okay to have your opinions and preferences. It's okay to have your opinions and preferences. There's nothing wrong with liking hymns if you like hymns. There's nothing wrong with liking King James if you liked King James. It's okay to have those things. But the instruction that Paul gives to Titus is, let people have their opinions, but don't get into arguments over those things. Do not make those things Uh, 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 subjects of contention in the body of Christ. You know, there are certain things, and what Paul says to to Titus is, just skip that stuff. Just ignore that stuff. Don't don't let that become something that gets started in your church. If people have their opinions, bless them and and let them have their opinions. He says, there's some things that are not worth fussing and fighting over. Did you know that there are certain things that are not worth fussing and fighting over? Now, there are some things that are worth fussing and fighting over. The basics of the gospel, the the truths of the Christian faith, there are certain things that are worth contending for. There are certain things that are worth going to the mat for. Uh, The early Christian church had to deal with this because they did not have the scriptures together for the first couple of hundred years. We had the Old Testament Bible, but the New Testament had been written in the first century, but there wasn't agreement over the canon, over over what books would go into our New Testament, until a couple of hundred years after the church had been established, before it was agreed upon which books were canonical. And so the church had to hassle with this all the time. There were people who were writing false gospels, there were people who were writing uh, uh, heretical things about the Trinity, and about the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, and about whether or not the Holy Spirit was actually a co-equal member of the Trinity. So the church had to struggle with these things. And one of the things they did, which was blessed by God and used by God, was they called together a church church councils at various times. And they developed creeds which were summations of doctrine that we all that they all agreed upon were. Were the defining uh, uh, points of Orthodox Christianity. We can still use those things today. They're things like the fact that God is Trinity, like the fact that Jesus is God and man, like the fact that the Holy Spirit is indeed the third person of the Trinity, that there is a real resurrection from the dead. These basics of the faith are agreed upon and have been agreed upon by the church for over 2,000 years. Those are the things, the basics of the faith that we find in those creeds and that, our Bible, that come from our Bibles that we should always be willing to go to the mat for, that we should always be willing to contend for because those are accurate statements of what Christianity is. If someone comes into Bible Fellowship Church and they say, say to you, you know, Jesus was wonderful, but he was just a great moral example. He's not God. We will go to the mat for that. We'll fight for that. If somebody comes into our church and says to us, this is not God's word, it's just a book written by humans, and there's some good moral counsel in there, we will go to the mat for that. There are certain things that are worth going to the mat for, but everything is not not worthy to go to the mat for. And so what Paul says is, don't get into senseless arguments. I was looking through uh, you know, every now and again, uh, I like to get a second opinion from various uh, Bible versions, you know. So last night, just as a kind of a thing, I, I picked up the new revised standard and read this. And I love the way they translate this. It says, don't get into stupid arguments. Now that's very expressive, isn't it? And, and that really is what, what Paul is saying to Titus. He's saying, now look, there are certain things that you go to the mat for, but there are other things that were just stupid arguments, you know? And if we get into stupid arguments about, about, about music and Bible versions and politics and, and pandemics and all of that stuff, we can cause a real problem to the body of Christ. And so the first thing Paul says is, when it comes to people who are controversial people, don't feed the fire. Just, just nod your head and walk away. When I was at Kroger, we had uh, I was I was I always got the female co-managers. I was a store manager for Kroger. They always sent the lady co-managers to me. Be, I think because they thought I was safe, you know, and it was like we can put her there. And I had I had the first uh, the first black co-manager that we had uh, was uh, she was Karen G. Karen Thomas. She's wonderful lady, and I I remember Karen Thomas. You could not get her into an argument employees would do their best to try to get her into an argument. And Karen Thomas would just look at them and say, mm, 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 and walk away. And I'll tell you something. I learned something from Karen Thomas because that's a a good skill to have in the body of Christ. There are moments when you hear stuff coming out of some of your, you know, there's killer sheep. Did you know that we've got some killer sheep? There are moments when you hear something coming out of people's mouths. And the smartest thing you can do is just say, mm, 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 and walk away. And that's the advice that Paul gives to Titus. There are times to do that. Now, he talks about another kind of uh, problem person in verses 10 and 11. He says there's something that, that's more than that. Some people are controversialists. They just, they've got their little thing that they want to talk about and they want to they hammer on. You don't have to get involved in that. And, th- and no danger is going to come. From letting those things go. No danger is going to come from letting those things slide. But he said there is a danger that does come along because there are some people who simply will not let it go. They simply won't let it go. Listen to what he says in 10. He comes out of this business in verse 9 talking about people who are just involved in these unprofitable and worthless conversations, these stupid arguments. And he says, "As for the person who stirs up division, this is different. This is a another step beyond what we're talking about. This is somebody who is stirring up trouble. they're stirring up division in the body of Christ. They may have their opinion, they've got their preference, but they're going to go beyond simply wanting to talk about it and discuss it. they're going to stir up a problem and require people to form parties and to choose sides. And that's what he's talking about here. As for the person who stirs up division, division is always possible. Somebody, the devil will send somebody along to stir it up. And so he says, now, what do you do when you got that happening? And the, the language here hides the severity of what Paul's talking about. When he says they stir up divisions... I'm told, I don't have Greek, but I am told by people who do, that what he's saying is there are people who come into your body and create heresies. In other words, damaging, dangerous things that will hurt people spiritually, untruths. So he said, as for the people who do this, he says, now here's how you handle them. You warn them once, and then you warn them twice, and after that, have nothing more to do with them, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and is self-condemned. The condition that Paul describes in the first verse, in verse nine, is a condition that cannot be allowed to get out of hand. When you've got people who are going to actually make party, divide the body into party, spirit. You know, I'm gonna be in this little group over here that has this thing, and if you don't agree with us, then you can't be in our party. Paul says that's damaging to the body of Christ, and it needs to be handled. And he said, here's how you handle it. You warn them once, and then you warn them twice, and the third time, you put them out of the church. Now, that's pretty severe, isn't it? That's pretty severe. Let me give you some counsel from a guy who knows a lot more than I do, Warren Wiersbe. Wiersbe said that in his years of the pastorate, he had seen this happen on a number of occasions. And he said, this is the way it works. He said, you get somebody who comes into your church and they've got their little thing, and it's okay to have your little thing, but they won't let it go. And the next thing you know, you've got parties beginning to form in, against this thing and for this thing in your church. So he said, you go to them when you're in leadership and you correct them. And he said, they always leave the church. But then he said, but they always come back. Probably because nobody else will have them. That was Wiersbe's comment. He said, they always come back. And he said, they come back in and they're not going to cause any more problems. But he said, count on it. They're going to cause problems again because that's who they are. And he said, warn them again. And he said, you warn them again and they'll leave again. And then they'll show back up. And he said, when they show up, meet them at the door and tell them, this is not the place for you. Two warnings, and after that, have nothing more to do with them. Now, that seems pretty severe to us. How can it be that that's how to handle this? But look at what he says in that 11th verse. He says, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and is self-condemned. What is he telling us? He's telling us that the people who are in that condition are not believers in Jesus Christ they are false sheep and what he's saying and John the apostle tells us the same thing in first John when we get to first John I think it's in verse in chapter two uh, yeah it's in 219 John talks about people in the churches that John was 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 uh ministering to who did the same thing he said they went out from us because they were not of us if they had been of us They would have stayed with us, but they went out from us because they were not of us. When the spirit of God lives in you, you may have your preferences, but he will keep you from dividing the church over those things. He will make sure that when you're corrected, you will really be corrected. But an individual who's uncorrectable, Paul says, well, here's what you do. You send them out. The point that he's making here is that there are always going to be people in the church who cause problems. And leaders have to know the appropriate way to deal with such people. You know, when I first came into the pastorate, there was an individual in the church who uh, wanted me to preach out of the King James Version. And uh, he talked to me about that. He gave me a book about it, you know, about the supposed superiority. And let me just say something. The King James Version is a wonderful version of the Bible. I know some of you use that. It's very precious to you. God bless you. You'll never hear a word of criticism from us about that. It's a really good version of the Bible. But at the time, the church that I was in preached out of the NIV. So we're preaching out of the NIV, and this guy wanted me to do that. And by the way, this is the church. Okay? So it's 10 years ago. You can't guess who he is. You'll never figure out who he is. He wanted, he wanted me to do that, and because I would not do that, he left the church. A couple of months ago, I saw him sitting back in our church. Yes. Now he's gone again, so we must have offended him again. <laughs> I, do, I do not know. But this kind of stuff happens all the time in the body of Christ, it's a non essential issue. It's a non essential issue the Bible versions are not something that we should ever divide over in the body of Christ. As long as the Bible version that we're using is telling us the truth, as long as it's orthodox, as long as it's it's accurately communicating the scriptures, then read the one that makes sense to you. Uh, Who was it? Woodrow Kroll. Somebody asked Woodrow Kroll, the Bible teacher, which version of the Bible should I use? He says the one that God speaks to you through. And I think that's good. That's good. But there are some people who won't let those things go. Now, there's nothing wrong with believers holding a variety of opinions when it comes to the non-essential issues, such as Bible versions or prophetic systems or the intersection of God's grace and human responsibility or music styles or political preferences, to just to name a few of the issues that commonly arise. Every believer should hold their opinions in their heart in good conscience but they should exercise the counsel of scripture given in Romans 14:13 about such matters. Romans 14:13 says, "Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother." Those who truly know and love the Lord will always be anxious to maintain unity in the body and to practice the things that lead to mutual edification. And so this is why Paul gives us this counsel but it's another matter entirely when somebody forces believers to choose sides against other believers in these matters. When matters like this arise in the church as they surely do and will from time to time, make sure that you are thinking clearly about the issue at hand. It affects the people in the pews. It's not just the leadership that has to deal with this. So make sure that you're asking a question like, this thing that this person wants me to to agree to, is it really essential? Is this really essential or is this an incidental matter? Another question is, can I support my church leaders in this? Can I help them during this moment of controversy in the church? And then, whatever you do, resist the temptation to divide over these matters, to split over these matters. If those who are causing division will not relent, let them go. Such people reveal the true state of their heart by choosing to leave. Hold the door open for them when they go, and you'll be doing a service to the body of Christ. Problem people. But aren't you glad that problem people is not the only people? Because now we come to the good people, the blessing people, the people who are blessing, verses 12 through 15, dealing with people who are blessings. Blessedly, not everybody in the church is what one author called a well-intentioned dragon. Well-intentioned, they have good intention, but they're, they're gonna treat you like a dragon. But not everybody's that way. There are some wonderful, wonderful people. And Paul gives to uh, t- uh, Titus and to us three different kinds of people who are blessings in the church. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, he talks about faithful helpers. So there's some people in the church who are faithful helpers. He says... When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Paul casually mentions two men in addition to Titus that have just been a blessing to him. There's a man by the name of Artemis, and we know nothing about Artemis more than this single mention in the Scripture. We do know about this fellow he calls Tychicus, and we know that he was very important in the ministry of Paul. We find in Acts chapter 20 that Tychicus was accompanying Paul in his imprisonment on that voyage to Rome. We also find him mentioned in the book of Ephesians, we find him in Colossians and in Philippians. Tychicus apparently was the courier that Paul entrusted with letters to those churches to be able to take them, uh, to, to do that, to carry those letters to those churches. And we have parts of our Bible because Tychicus was faithful and got those letters to where they were supposed to go. Here are faithful guys, two faithful people that were workers in the church. Aren't you glad that there are faithful people in the church? How would we ever be able to have a VBS if we didn't have people like this in our church? You know what I mean? Do you know the glories of pouring Kool-Aid? The glories of pouring Kool-Aid for little kids who run around here like wild Indians for a week. I hope we can do that again this year. We couldn't do it this year, 2020. I hope next year we can do that again, where we can have VBS again. I hope so because it's good for the kids, but you know who else it's good for? It's good for the church. It's good for the body. You come out here and wear yourself out for a week, you know, chasing those kids around during, during uh, exercise time or whatever they call it, Uh, getting those kids from, from station to station so that they can be taught the Bible, watching those little souls. We always have little guys who come to know the Lord during VBS. You can't do that without faithful people in the church. Aren't you glad that we've got faithful people in the church? You can't run your ministries unless you've got people like this. What a blessing. What do you do with those people? Well, first of all, you appreciate them. That's the first thing, you appreciate them. And the other thing is you let them exercise the gifts that God has given them to be able to contribute to the body because that's what faithful people are doing. Second kind of faithful persons in verse 13, faithful missionaries. He says, do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. This, this apparently is a, are two Two guys that are on a missionary trip, sort of like Paul did. Now, Zenos, the lawyer, we only know about him here. What do we know about him? We know he has a Greek name, so he probably was a Gentile. And we know that he was a lawyer. Now, what does that mean? Well, it could mean that he was an expert in Roman law, or it could mean that he was an expert in Jewish law. We simply do not know. But we know that the early church thought enough of him to send him out with the message of the gospel. And he's with a fellow that we do know very well, Apollos. When we read our book of Acts, we find Apollos uh, being this skilled Bible teacher from Alexandria that was so much help to the church in Corinth after he had been properly instructed in the full uh, good news of the gospel uh, and, uh, with uh, Priscilla and Aquila. So these are faithful people who are going out as missionaries. And apparently Paul's letter to Titus came via the hands of these two men. And so they are faithful and Paul gives instructions to Titus. He says, now here's what I want you to do with these faithful missionaries. I want you to make sure they get the support they need. How many of you know that missionaries need to be supported? You know, it's wonderful having Jean Jordan up here. It's wonderful to send Alana out uh, many of us uh, in this congregation have served on the field. And one of the things we know is that you cannot, missionaries cannot do what they do unless somebody comes alongside and says, if you're going out there, I'll make sure that you get the resources that you need to be able to do it. And not only will I give you money, but I will pray for you. And this is the counsel that, that Paul gives to Titus. He says, make sure your people provide the resources that Zenos and Apollos need both in material resources and in prayer when you send them on their way faithful missionaries i just i'll go out on a on a limb and i'll get an amen on this i know you cannot have a healthy church unless you have a healthy missions program you cannot have a healthy church unless you've got a healthy missions program Missions is an integral part of what we do at Bible Fellowship Church. Something like 16 or 17% of our budget goes into, used to, I, I haven't looked at the budget for the last couple of years, but at, at one time, 17% of our budget goes into it. The average church in America gives 5% to missions. Now, that's not bad. I'm glad they do that, but I'm glad that God has enabled us to be able to do more, and it's been helpful to us. Finally, there's one more group of faithful people, and that's in verse 14. It's the congregation. He says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. He says, he says, I want your congregation to be faithful. I want the people who are in the pews to be faithful. I want them to help. I want them to be involved in good works. I want them to be active in the ministry. The church is not a spectator sport. We get together to do this. We all come together to do this together. And so we need all kinds. And so we ask ourselves the question, now, when you've got faithful workers and you've got faithful missionaries and you've got a faithful congregation, what do you have? You've got a healthy, growing church. You're gonna have a healthy, growing church. This is God's design. Is there a reward? for a healthy, growing church? Glad you asked. Verse 15. Grace, grace, grace be to you all. Paul says, you got a healthy church? Grace. Let the grace of God flow. Let the power of God flow through that church. Let the power of God flow through that little assembly of these new believers, Titus. This little, you know, 15 people meeting in a home on the island of Crete in this filthy society, but they've heard the good news and they're being faithful. They're getting help from faithful people. Let the grace of God flow through that assembly, flow through that body. I think I swallowed a fly. (laughs) Let let the, yeah, you know, it was bound to happen, wasn't it? This is why you've got a mask on. (laughs) Let the grace of God flow through that assembly out into the world around you. Grace. This is what the point is of the church. So the purpose of good doctrine and good leadership is to produce faithful people. You know, I love to read the history. I love to read history, and I particularly like uh, history of, uh, of war. Uh, I know, uh, everybody can't do that, but I'm a, I'm a, a warrior history reader, Hap has provided me with some great stuff. But a really good book that has encouraged me is called The Bedford Boys. And uh, Bedford Boys is is precious to me because Gwen and I are from Bedford County, Virginia. And the Bedford Boys came from Bedford, Virginia. And uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but the National D-Day Memorial is in Bedford, Virginia, this little tiny town that has nothing exceptional about it at all other than having this whopping big, you know, national memorial for D-Day. And the reason that it's there is because Bedford, Virginia lost more of their kids on D-Day than any other town in the nation. It was was an awesome thing. Their National Guard unit went together into battle and was virtually wiped out. And so The Bedford Boys is an interesting book. It's a wonderful book. And it tells the story just simply by telling you the biographies of these young men. And these, it just and they, they weren't anything special, you know. I mean, some of them came off of farms. And others were shopkeepers' kids. And, you know, they, they didn't have anything particularly noteworthy about them. If they had gone and served and survived the war, they would have come back and been honored, as they should be. But they're honored in this book for a particular reason. It isn't because they were particularly better than other small town, you know, young men who went to war. It's because they were routinely faithful. The reason they're remembered is because they were just routinely faithful. They believed in their country. They loved their country. They thought it was worthwhile to to storm the beach at Normandy and they paid the ultimate price for doing that. And routine faithfulness, routine faithfulness is how you do it. Routine faithfulness in the church is how we do it. You don't have to be a hero. You don't have to be anybody special. But we have to be routinely faithful in order for the body of Christ to go forward. As Christians, we're called to live our lives for a cause greater than ourselves, just as those young men did. Will we be worthy to be remembered as faithful helpers and faithful missionaries, faithful people when the history of our age is read at the judgment seat of Christ? Why don't we determine to remain faithful come what may, just as they did? Well, we began our studies in Titus by noting that the point of the epistle was to show that good understanding of doctrine should lead to lives that are well-lived. And the verses that we've looked in tonight punctuate the message with a very hearty amen. So I thank you for traveling through Titus with me. Look forward to t- traveling through great chapters starting next week. But let me end the message the way Paul ended the book. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet all who love us in the faith and Grace be to you all. Let's pray. Lord, grace be to us all. Grace be to us all. Thank you that you have put the body of Christ together, and thank you that we are various kinds of people. Thank you that you've given us good leadership over us. You've given us a wonderful gospel. You've given us the joy of fellowship together. You've given us uh, good people, and you've given us challenging people but we love all of them. And we want all of them to make it home safely. We know that through the grace of God, they will. But we want all of them not to be ashamed in that day. And so help us to be people who are faithful, faithful, just routinely faithful. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.